0: Hey everyone, Pre Accident Podcast, Todd Conklin. How are you today? Awfully good to have you on board as always. Well, here we go in the uh, vain attempt to get rid of 2019 as fast as possible. Let's just keep forging ahead and putting out these dang podcasts, will we? Yeah, we will. So all is well here. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, you can figure out. You be the judge of that. You arbitrate this. I don't have any really interesting stories about uh, potential shootings or getting yelled at on airplanes, although I'm sure it happened. Um, Now I just kind of uh, weave them aside and don't pay attention. But I do have an interesting podcast for you today. And it's it's interesting because if you know me, This is not a topic area I delve into very much, um, but it's a topic area that I think is worth presenting, at least on the podcast. And we're going to talk to a person who's actually been through an event. And normally, I normally I think it's 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 amazing to watch these people that have been through an event talk. And normally, I think it's really powerful. I'm just not sure how valuable it is, because asking a person to be careful, don't be like me, be careful. Those speeches, uh, I think, are really touching as a human being, but I don't think they're terribly effective in maintaining reliability in a high-risk organization. It's, it's really kind of a very, very elaborate way to say care more and you would be safer. But this one's a little different because this time I talked to a, a gentleman by the name of Tom Wilson, and I got to meet him with the, uh, the, the biopharmaceutical guys. They, they actually had him out there. And Tom's not a, he, he talks about safety in a different way. He's been through an event, an incredibly tragic event. He'll, he'll talk about it actually on the podcast. But he had nothing to do with the event itself. In fact, one of the things I push him on is how he feels about the event that he'd had. And I think you'll find this conversation interesting. At least I hope so. Uh, I did. And I came out of there adoring this man more than when I started, and I kind of liked him a lot when I started. So it kind of doubled up and became better. I I really appreciate how honest he is. I really appreciate the way he tells his story. I I hope that our discussion helped him think a little differently about what happened. And that's kind of what you're going to have to be the judge of. It's a big day for you judging stuff. I'm really putting a lot of weight on you today, and I want to apologize. I'm so darn sorry. It's not fair, is it? But I want you to listen to this. I want you to listen to the story because I think there's much in this story for us to discuss. And the best way to get into that is to simply get into it. Let's just get into it. I'll tell you more about exciting stuff in my life later when more stuff happens. We kind of wait for stuff to happen a little bit. Okay. So that's between you and I. But until then, let's listen to this conversation. This was in, um, in Raleigh, North Carolina on a Wednesday afternoon on a beautiful day, sitting on a park bench, having a discussion. It's myself and Tom Wilson. See what you think. I'm curious to talk to you when this podcast is over. I think you're going to edit this anyway. A little bit. I don't edit too much unless something really bad It's <laughs> like if you call somebody a name or something. Something super inappropriate. Yeah, if it's just <laughs> if it's if it's average inappropriate. inappropriate so just <laughs> if, it's, if it's average inappropriate. <laughs> so today was really fun. Tell me about yourself and why why was your story so compelling this morning? Because you, you took a room full of people and, and moved them a couple times. And it's remarkable. And you did it around the notion of, well, safety. But really, I think... Your message is, is more than safety. It's really about our response to the world and, and how the world deals all sorts of variability, all sorts of unexpected mm-hmm. events at us all the time. So I'm super interested. Introduce yourself to us. Uh,
1: well, my name's Tom Wilson. Uh, I was in a plane crash in November of 2008 where I watched six of my coworkers and a pilot die. Um, you know, it was it was tragic. It was tragic for a lot of families. It was tragic for me personally. I was burnt. I was severely wounded. Um, took a lot of healing physically, but then after that was the emotional healing, which was even more difficult. Um, you know, I had to find a way to fight through it, and a part of that was really kind of understanding my own behaviors and my own c- contributions to that crash. So
0: tell know. us about that because this horrific experience, by all rights, you shouldn't have survived. I no. mean, it just a just a, it's a miraculous. It's really the definition of a miracle that you survive. But what's interesting is you came out of it now in a position where you're smarter and you're stronger and you're much more strategic in the way you think about how people do high-risk operations. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably any operations, but we're sort of in the business of high-risk operations. Tell us about that, that growth. How, how did you take that horrible experience and create this Potential, amazing, life-changing story that you share with people.
1: Honestly, I think that growth came out of necessity. Um, you know, going through a tragedy like that and witnessing what I did and being a part of what I did—you know—it was the the emotional, the spiritual, the mental recovery was as difficult, if not more difficult, than recovering from the burn ward. And it was taking me to some dark places, and I had a hard time accepting the death of everyone and the role that I played in it. So I had to search for the the reasons so that I understood my own actions, my own behaviors. So let's talk through this.
0: How did the crash happen? No, not the full detailed story because that would take a long time and that's powerful. It's, and I recommend everybody pick up your book or go and see a speaker, both. But how did we get into a position where this catastrophic failure could happen to to a work team basically right mm-hmm. i mean this was a, a mm-hmm. chartered plane mm-hmm. carrying workers off from the same company yep. how did how did we get into a position where that failure took place i guess briefly describe that
1: well it was just you know the weather conditions were bad there's there was a, there was a ton of pressure on on myself there was pressure on everyone there was an environment of pressure no one felt safe um, but no one was willing to show courage no one spoke up to prevent us from taking off we all accepted the risk, and 22 minutes later, everyone except myself was dead.
0: Would a commercial plane, a, a non-charter plane, a commercial like an Air Canada plane or a United plane, would it have taken off that day?
1: No, they, they physically don't have the ability to, because of the legislation that controls it. Because our flight was private, it pushed the decision-making process onto the pilot. Um, and it took it away from tower control. So now the decision was made by the pilot, but he also pushed that decision onto us,
0: which I think is super interesting. At one point, if I remember this correctly, well, tell the story. I mean, yeah, you know, no, the, I'm we, were tell the, your story. we were, we were on We I'll make it plane. interesting, and I'll make up stuff if you want me to tell <laughs> it. No, 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 I'm good. I
1: think it's interesting <laughs> enough. Um, we were on the plane, and and I was I was on the plane, and we were looking out the window and. And i didn't understand how we could fly every other flight that day was canceled so the the boards were lit up in red with cancellations and and we were on our airplane the pilot boarded uh, he started the engines and then he looked back and he said to us look guys we're gonna have to do some low-level flying because of the weather conditions if anyone has a problem with
0: that let me know now and i'll let you off what do you think when he said that because he's now in retrospect with the benefit of sitting across from you and the benefit of understanding your event, he really sort of pushed the operational decision, the go/no go, to the passengers. Hundred percent, he did. Hundred percent, he did. But we were scared.
1: I was scared. Sure. And I know that my I know that my friends and my coworkers that are no longer with us they were scared, right? Uh, when he asked that question, the cabin was filled with silence, right? It was just the silence echoed through it, and and we all looked at each other. We were all nervous, waiting for someone else to speak up, and no one did. Right. and in the next breath the pilot said so it was you know just a split second the next breath he's like look it's my job to make sure it doesn't get exciting if it does we'll come back and have coffee so he almost minimized
0: right I would the, say he did he did minimize it, you know. or or justified in his mind yeah. the 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 reward was worth more than the risk, which you guys talk about in your in your discussion around sort of the risk factors that are an important part of that. But the,
1: the other thing that I, I just want to say that, that I've always been very passionate about is I don't blame the pilot. Sure, right? You know, I think a lot of people did, and that's the easy solution. Um, I don't because he didn't want to die. He, right. you know, he had a family. You
0: know. I think it's, I think it's easy in retrospect to look at the pilot and say the pilot. Well, I just said it. Morally separated himself or the pilot pushed the, the, the barricade. What I find interesting, I find two things super interesting about your crash, really three things. One is the fact that you survived is, is just a compelling story. It's, it's worth reading the book. It's worth following you around. Two is the fact that in retrospect, it's so clear you should not have gone, but the ambiguity before the flight, really was a part of peer pressure and time pressure and summit fever the end of the hitch all you want to do is get home i mean all those things are enormously powerful forces i mean they're they're more powerful in many ways than money mm-hmm. i mean the one thing you can't buy when you're on a hitch in northern alberta is time you can buy everything else cuz you they pay a ton of money to work there
1: time with your family but
0: time with your family mm-hmm. i mean and you see it in alberta when you see the millions of of Winnebago's and boats and stuff where people really put that investment in time. And then the third thing is the feeling you have that somehow you were complicit in that failure is really, really interesting to me. And I understand it and I honor where you're coming from. Your story is amazing. But I would, I would wonder if, if the outcome of that event could have been different if we would have looked at a system that allowed the plane to fly. We talked about this, mm-hmm. so it's an important part of it. Mm-hmm. Those three things are enormously significant. Did we learn the right lessons from your your horrible, horrible accident?
1: As an industry, I'm not yeah, sure. As that, an industry, as not, a, not you yeah. personally. I think the no, lessons you learned are perfect. As an industry, I'm not sure that, that much changed. Um, you know, the thing that's even more disheartening for me personally is as an airline, I don't think anything changed, right? You know, I, I talk about how they killed five people three months before doing the same thing and nothing changed, right? So the answer is no, I do think it's a failure, but the only thing I can do is is kind of highlight the role that I did play in it and learn from what I can
0: and right. share it. I mean, and I think one it. of the most powerful things you're doing and it's got to be hard to relive this over and over again, but it's to talk about that story and to talk about really how it impacted not just you. I mean, that's super interesting, but everyone else around that. There mm-hmm. there was a first there was there were many victims in this plane crash. Mm-hmm. There were the ones that died. there was the one that survived, and there were the families around them. And when you look at the multiple victims in this, it really, the story becomes more compelling. How did this influence the way you think about risk? Because what's amazing about you, Tom, is that it's, it's changed the way you think about risk and risk tolerance.
1: It has, but it's, it's changed everything. Um, it's changed even the basics of what I think about life. At the time of the crash, I was 35. I was an area manager for a global construction company. I had no intention of having kids right now I'm it's 10 years later I got a seven-year-old girl a five-year-old girl it it changed not just risk but everything what's important the value of time the relationship with my father Um, but in addition to that not only has it changed life it's it's for sure changed how I look at risk but it's also changed how I want to be a role model to those little girls and what's important and what kind of things you need to communicate and I'm a huge believer in other people learning from my failures or my experience or my pain, because that's the only way I can I can prevent them from going through the same thing without physically doing it.
0: And it's it's really that idea of seeing this plane crash as either a horrible, horrible, horrible thing, or an opportunity to actually make the world a better place. And, and to that grow. and that choice you made has so much to do with how you feel about it. What have you learned, ultimately, around risk that you think? really matters the most to, to people who manage risk in all sorts of operations, not just people who get on planes, I mean, that's certainly something to think about, but people who run a construction site or people who run a, a, a bioengineering facility or people who run a gas station or, or pilots or supercomputing. What, what did you What do you think about when you think about risk now?
1: Honestly, I think the two biggest things are, you know, one of the things I talk about is the difference between courage and bravery and and the courage to speak up and challenge a culture and and be vocal. You know, I heard a quote recently from from a really good friend of mine that said, you know, when you pull up to the job site, what's the first thing you look at? Is it the people or is it the work? Right? And it's the people. and, And risk is huge. But my question to everyone is, do they understand risk tolerance? Because I'm telling you, I didn't. Right. I was an area manager in a construction company, and I still didn't understand risk tolerance or any of the things I talk about with the intimacy that I have now that I've gone through this.
0: Right, and that consequence I think changed. It didn't probably. And correct me, jump in anytime. Yeah. I'm always open to be corrected. I'm wrong a lot, but I don't think it changed. Really, your understanding of risk tolerance, it changed really the way you think about how people manage risk tolerance. Mm -hmm. So I would actually suggest that what changed is really the probability side of the equation. Yeah. That you went from this will never happen to me or this will never happen to my job site. Let's let's extract it out to a construction site, right, to now thinking when this happens – Are we in a position where we're recoverable, where we have the right defenses in place, where we're thinking the right way? And that shift in probability, if you look at risk as probability times consequence, consequence, I mean, that's a big part of it. But probability is the part that I think it really you sing to. That's the part that you guys are so brilliant at. And what you're really changing is the way people think about that it can't happen to me part of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. But, you know, it's, it's – it is – it can happen to you. But there's – you know, you look at – You look at the pilot, you look at different people, there's different factors, and that really does contribute. You know, one of the things we talked about is uh, risk tolerance factor number uh, nine, I think it is, potential profit or gain. Profit doesn't have to be money, right? The biggest part of the gain that drove us to make that decision that day was for people to go home and see their family, for all the pressure that's on us. Right. You know, the more competent and experienced I am, no matter what that is, the higher tolerance for my risk. So there's definitely a a more intimate understanding now as to, you know, what decisions are made. I still have to take risks. I have to get on an airplane to go home tomorrow. But I'm going to manage those risks intellectually now and make sure that I don't I don't take stupid risks because the risk that we took that day, you know, looking back at it, that was just stupid.
0: Yeah, and that that retrospective understanding of the accident after it happens, Mm -hmm. it's powerful. What I'm interested in, how has that influenced really the industry now before the event happened? So how has that changed the dynamic context of small charter planes flying in northern Canada or northern Idaho or northern Mexico, anywhere? Are we in a position where we're thinking not if this happens but when this happens and are we ready operationally as companies to say when a guy says i'm not coming home i'll pay him an extra day or i'll I'll make that difference i'll 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 fix the system so the system supports really the right kind of risk decision making
1: or removes the pressure right i'll give him a day day on the other side of the turnaround in in fact tom
0: what you just said is probably way better than what i said Because if you think about change, there's two ways to change people. You either double the pressure towards change or you remove the pressure away from change. And I actually think your comment, how can companies remove pressure and make it easier for for workers to make decisions that aren't influenced by the double secret peer pressure.
1: That's right. Just to, to make the right decisions, because we all know what decisions are right inside of us, and we've got these internal alarms that are going yes. off. And it takes physical effort to keep those internal internal alarms silenced. Your story is an
0: amazing one, and what I what I think I learned from you, I learned a ton from you today. But what I think I learned from the podcast. Is not let's let's not ask workers to try harder to make the right decisions. As an organization, let's make it easier for workers to make the let's remove pressure. Let's not double pressure towards the right decision. Let's remove pressure away from the right decision. Yeah. Any advice to us? The rest of the world, you've been through, you've seen stuff. God forbid, none of us will have to see. Uh, you know, uh,
1: yeah. I guess the the biggest thing I can say is um, you know one of the feedback and the comment that I get a, a lot is how difficult it must be for me to relive this and talk about it and 100 percent it is you know i I cry every time i talk and i hold it back and i know people can see that and and people share in that emotion with me but yeah but it's it's the courage to talk about these things to challenge things and to not be afraid to stand in front of a room and and say you know what i knew it was wrong and i did wrong and this is what i learned and this is how i've changed because that's that's what influences people.
0: How can people find you if they want to talk to you more, ask you some questions, or bring you in to have you talk to their company or watch your book? Or, oh, wait, well, you don't watch books. You know read, what? read your book.
1: Um, yeah, no, my book is called Moments of Impact. It's available online. We're uh, just looking, exploring on how to make that audible.
0: Yeah, no, uh, we talked about that before the podcast. Yeah, everyone should make their book audible.
1: Yeah, my email is info at international safety two or sorry. It's info at insafein.com.
0: So IN Safe In. So Insafe in Okay, so info at insafein.com. Easy enough. Sure. Yes, sir. Short sure. for the International Safety Institute. Okay, and that's short for the International Safety Institute. Thanks for your time, man. This was great.
1: Thanks for thanks for you today. Oh, I, I learned a lot you. from you.
0: I was just making crap up. You turned the river out. So I appreciate it. Thanks, sir. Peace. Is that easy? Man, that was awesome. Thank Dude, you. So what do you think? So the hardest thing for me, I really enjoyed the conversation. The hardest thing for me is that, that belief that I knew better and did it anyway, which is uh, between us a a strong, 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 emotionally hard fought and, and, and absolutely. He, he has the right to say it, no question about it, but it's really a strong retrospective bias. Uh, My guess is, is had he known what he known before the plane, have taken off, he would have done completely differently. But the power of retrospective bias is awesome. And you really hear it. And he's dealing with it every single time he gives that discussion, every time he talks about it. And, uh, and it's really powerful. I I didn't know how hard to push. I mean, it's, you just, you know, it's a human being who's been through an amazing story. And you think, is it, is it worth pushing that hard to make a point that really is only a point and doesn't really change the fact that this horrible thing happened. And really the notion of restoration becomes really powerful, super powerful in this conversation. And it's really the three questions. Who's been hurt? What will they need to move forward? And who's responsible to make sure they get that? And you know, one thing I'll tell you about Tom is that he's worked diligently to actually restore his ability to talk to people about this event and to help people and and one cannot criticize that by any stretch of the imagination i i, I just would be horrible but i wanted you to hear it cuz I, I think that conversation was an important conversation it was really important for me so maybe this podcast episode's only for me yeah let's go with that. that that's a that's a good way to solve that problem this was my podcast that i accidentally put up and uh broadcasted didn't mean to a complete accident but you got to be a part of it I don't know. I'm curious what you think. I'm always curious what you think. That's, I think the best reason to to do the podcast is that we get to talk about stuff and it makes us think about stuff. And, and I think that's really where the value lies. But I don't know. That's, that's where I am. Tell me what you think. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of the podcast. It's been uh, a stunningly fun ride to this point, And I think it's only going to get better. It is getting, um, easier to get people on. I will will tell you that the one thing about you listening and telling other people to listen is that we have these crazy high numbers of people who listen, which then makes it really attractive for people to come on and be a part of the podcast. So that part's kind of cool. So I owe you for that. The payoff's really, really high. Plus we get a chance to joke around and, you know, talk about crap. And that's always valuable to some level. So I think that's going to be it. I just, it's, a little, it's a little shorter than normal, but that's all right. Um, that'll give you seven minutes to, uh, you know, contemplate. Contemplate life as you know it and moving forward. Until then, my friends, learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can squeeze into a uh, number 10 can. And for goodness sakes, be safe. Thanks, you guys. <music>